Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the Preacher's Devo podcast. I am your host, Daniel Messina. The Preacher's Devo podcast is designed for those seeking some devotional thought on certain biblical truths and doctrines of the faith. Throughout the podcast, I offer an analysis of the Heidelberg Catechism. I have picked the Heidelberg Catechism for its easy-to-follow structure of what are called Lord's Days. There are 52 of them, and today we are in episode number 8, which means we are in Lord's Day number 8. At the end of episode number 7, we spoke about the Apostles' Creed. Let me read the Apostles' Creed to you once again as a way of reminder. It goes as follows. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. In the last part of the Apostles' Creed, which states, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So that right there, folks, is the Apostles' Creed, which leads us then to the very first question in Lord's Day number 8. It goes as follows. How are these articles divided? The answer given is into three parts. The first is of God the Father and our creation. The second of God the Son and our redemption. The third of God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Note that such descriptions are very specific. They speak of the different roles of the different members of the Trinity. To God the Father is attributed creation. To God the Son is attributed salvation. And to God the Spirit is attributed sanctification. In our subsequent podcast, we will explore these separately. Lord's Day 9 and 10 are about the Father. Lord's Day 11 through 19 are about the Son. And Lord's Day 20 through 22 are about the Holy Spirit. This triune formula is very foundational for the Heidelberg Catechism, which seeks to give us a picture or a view into the very basic and most important doctrines of the Christian faith. Included in that is obviously the Trinity. Throughout Scripture, God is referred to as being one, yet He is revealed in three different persons. He's one, but yet three. This, of course, is a mystery, but it is the God whom Christians worship. There are a few passages that give us a clear view and a clear picture into the Trinity, and especially they come from the New Testament as Jesus Christ comes as, a rev- as the revealed Word of God. Here in 1 Peter, for instance, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Elect, according to the foreknowledge of, look, watch what he says, of God the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Another Trinitarian passage is found in 1 John 5, 7. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, meaning Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Now, the second question in Lord's Day number 8 seeks to clarify the personhood of God. Now, here's what it says. Since there is but one divine being, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? 
The answer provided is this, because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Notice the appeal to special revelation. Special revelation is the revelation of God through his written word. It is different than general revelation, which is the revelation of God through what he has created. If we look at the word of God, the special revelation given to us, we see that for sure, indeed, and absolutely, God is one. In the passage of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, starting, it is asserted that God is one. It says, Hear, O Israel. By the way, this is known as the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here we see the word one, echad, in Hebrew, which some have attributed to unique one, not necessarily the fact that he is one and cannot be three persons, because he is three persons, but yet one being. The New Testament, a couple of passages stand out when it re- as it relates to the Trinity. First is the passage of Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, and second is a passage that is now known as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Let me begin with Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say the following. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Note right there that in Jesus' baptism, the Trinity is revealed in plain and full colors. Now moving on to the Great Commission passage of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says the following, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, pantata ethne, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Note that Jesus evokes the full triune nature of God here for those who are baptized and identify, therefore, with his own person. When making reference to the doctrine of the Trinity, we must understand that we also need to highlight God's simplicity. God is absolutely simple. And here I make reference to Dr. Norman Geisler's assessment of God's simplicity in his book on systematic theology. This is, by the way, from volume chapter 2, God and Creation, page 39. He says, simple means without parts, for what has parts can't come apart. Simple also means indivisible. That is, God is not capable of being divided. There are no seams, quote-unquote, in God. So there is no place in which the fabric of his being can be torn or come undone. Further, God's simplicity means that he is absolutely one. Not only does he have unity, but he is absolute unity himself. It is not oneness within manyness. It is oneness without manyness in his being, that is his essence, even though there is a plurality of persons. Even in trying to explain God's simplicity, we must use arguments that sometimes do not seem very simple because God indeed is simple yet complex. Again, the reference here to God's simplicity truly just is a reference to the fact that God is one, period. That he cannot be divided, that he cannot be multiplied, that he has unity in his essence. Dr. Geisler offers us a series of verses that I believe are worth mentioning. For instance, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. He also makes reference to Deuteronomy 6, 4, which we already read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
He also makes reference to Isaiah, which says, Isaiah chapter 37, verse 16 through 20, O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Now also Malachi 2.10 says, Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? And then he goes on and on and on explaining this. And he gives us also references from the New Testament. He refers to Romans 3.30, for instance. He says, There is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. He goes on to offer a few more passages and one that I like to highlight. This is 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Notice the emphasis on there is one God. Now Geisler will su summarize his uh, assessment here saying this. In summation, it is evident from these many verses that there is absolutely only one God. But if God is absolutely one, then he cannot be divided into many gods. That, folks, would be the doctrine of polytheism. Understanding God's simplicity is foundational. And by the way, many of the early church fathers made the argument for God's simplicity, especially in light of present heresies of their day. Throughout church history, the views of the Trinity and the triune nature of God have been muddled. However, there have been moments in church history that have provided us hope. For instance, during the Reformation, John Calvin, Martin Luther, and others spoke of the simplicity of God. John Calvin declared, when we profess to believe in one God under the name of God is understood a single, simple essence in which we comprehend three persons, or hypostasis. Here a reference to God's simplicity. Well, folks, before we end today's podcast, let me offer you the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Preacher's Devo podcast. I am your host, Daniel Messina. And until our next podcast, stay encouraged, encourage others, and keep growing in Christ. <music>